working nine to five on the Terra Space Station. Working nine to five under Ducat's Clarence Station. He's a creepy get because he's a Cardassian scumbag. I think I'll arrange his assassination. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert. All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? You're Starfleet officers. Now start acting like it. Oh, it's just Garrick. Plain, simple Garrick. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to The Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, and Dr. Bill Robinson. Bloody hell. Hello, everybody. And welcome to Listen to the Prophets, Deep Space Nine podcast, a Two True Freaks presentation. Tonight we will be looking at the 141st episode of the science fiction television series Deep Space Nine, the 17th episode of the sixth season, according to Wikipedia. I am Leggett Leyland, and I am joined today by my team of collaborators and rebellious scum... Dr. J. David Bill Robinson Wheater. What? <laughs> We've been joined. I, I missed your we name. Are, <laughs> we, we are conjoined. We are. Dr. We are Bill a... Robinson as Gul Ducat. <laughs> now. <laughs> J. David Wheater as Leggett Parek. For you don't judge us all by the one. And last. <laughs> you can't think of anything to say, can you? No, but by no means. <laughs> Paul Spataro, as whoever the fuck he wants to be. He's a I'm not a guest cast. He's a collaborator. <laughs> well, you know what? I would collaborate in a heartbeat. I'd be, I sell, I'd be selling you guys Kira's, out. I figured you didn't want to be Kira's mum, and you didn't want to be the scummy um, yeah, uh, Bajor and yeah, I'd be I'd be curious, Dad. Yeah, thank you for for collaborating. I'm I'm living a good life now. <laughs> bye bye. Well, don't, anyway. don't rush back. And the episode is wrongs darker than death or night. A shocking truth. Your mother and I were lovers. Sends Kira back to the past. You've fallen in love with him. But the consequences are devastating. On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Which uh, is a poem by uh, Shelley. It's Prometheus Unbound, isn't it? Oh. That's where the title comes from. I had no idea where that came from, honestly. Well, there you go. You have learned something from this episode. I often learn. Mm. So what have we learned today, children? I learned Uh, that Dave and I are conjoined twins. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry, J. David Robinson. I do apologize. (laughs) I learned that Thomas was playing a character named Thomas. Yay. What's the movie with Ray Milland and, and Rosie Greer? The man with, the, with, the man man with two, two heads. Two heads. Uh, that's what I'm picturing you two right now. So basically, you've met Zephod Beeblebrox. Yeah, Zephod's just yeah. this guy, you know. He's just this guy, you know. Do we have any news that we wish to talk about that will not be news in 20 weeks' time when this eventually comes out? 
That's no. a negative. <laughs> okay, so should we just go straight into Wikipedia's incredibly well-written and uh, concise synopsis? Or the, the episode... one that they actually wrote. Yeah, the one that they actually wrote. The episode was written by Ida Stephen Burt and Hans Beamler, uh, and directed by Jonathan West, which uh, first heard on April Fool's Day, 1998. On her late mother Maru's 60th birthday, Kira receives a transmission from Guldekat in best boo-hiss mode, in which he tells her that Maru, who supposedly died when Kira was three, was actually his love monkey for many years and had left her family to be with him. What a scumbag. When Kira's investigation fails to prove Ducat false, she asks Station Commander Captain Sisko as emissary to permit her to consult the Bajuran Orb of Time. He agrees, and Kira finds herself in the past, facing mirror images that were not her own, and hoping that it no, it's a different show, finds herself at a refugee centre, where she comes face to face with her long-lost family, who do not realise her true identity. Kira and Maru are taken from the camp to become comfort women for Cardassian troops. The sight of her mother being torn from her children is painful for Kira, and she vows to help her return to her family. The women are taken to the then-new Terek Noir space station, where, despite her sadness, Maru is overwhelmed by the bounty of food and other comforts. Later, she is singled out for special attention by Guldukat, the new prefect of the station who is every bit as slimy and as scummy as you've come to know and love, or hate, depending on your point of view. Maru confesses to Kira that she has what she's always dreamed of, good health, beautiful clothes, enough to eat, and some Cardassian... Co- no, no, no! But at the cost of her family. Later, Kira learns that her mother has become Ducat mistress. When Kira confronts a, car- a guard and demands to see Maru, she is thrown out into the station's Bajuran ghetto. Kira befriends a member of the Bajuran resistance named Halb, who asks her to help attack the Cardassians, but she is suddenly summoned to meet with Maru. When her mother began singing Ducat's praises, it is too much for Kira to bear. She angrily reminds Maru that Ducat is not only responsible for killing innocent Bajurans, but also for separating her from her family. Maru explains that Ducat has promised to provide her husband and children with food and medical supplies. Kira accuses Maru of becoming a collaborator and storms out, Hatching a plan with Halb to smuggle a bomb into Ducat's quarters. Her mother could be killed in the blast, but Kira no longer curs. Pretending to have had a change of heart, Kira returns to Ducat's quarters to apologise for Maru, then secretly hides the bomb. She's preparing to leave when Ducat gives Maru a recorded message from Taban, Kira's father. He thanks his wife for what she has done, telling her that she has saved their lives. Kira realises that if her father could forgive her, then he, she must forgive her also. She warns Ducat and Maru about the bomb and they escape just before it detonates. Kira returns to her current time with the painful knowledge that Ducat's story is true and that the line between being a good person and a collaborator is not so clear-cut. Something I'd argue she already knew. But yeah. That's... Well, when you put it that way. Um... I, I actually really like this one because it is interesting to contrast the difference between Kira's form of rebellion and her mother's form of rebellion in that her mum clearly thinks that she's doing this for the kids and it's paralleling the, the, what happened in France in World War II that a number of French prostitutes would sleep with the, the Nazis to get whatever information they could get from them but then were shunned when the war finished because of what they did. And you could understand why people who aren't involved would get the wrong impression 
passionate about this because in their minds it's it's yes yes I'm sacrificing for my children please get me another bonbon you know what I mean it's it's, it's like you know it, it's hard to to view to vi- envision that as a sacrifice if you're not really seeing the full picture so you know I think it's a pretty complex issue that they threw out there to us yeah I, I yeah I really liked it as well my biggest nitpick is I don't think Cisco would have gone along with her plan to send her in the first place. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like... Uh, uh, it's- I, I think they get around that by actually basically, figuratively, not literally being on her knees, calling him emissary. Yeah, but you know what she, she's saying? Uh, do this as emissary, not a Starfleet officer. So, in other words... If you just say you're doing it as emissary, you no longer have to pay attention to your duties as Starfleet officer. That's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> and really also, also, ignore your duties as Starfleet officer. Yeah, do this exactly. as emissary. Yeah. So there's no going against what Starfleet would want him to do. There's no guarantee, though, that this is anything's going to happen because she says, and if the That's prophets so will it, I will go back and, and see what happens. I'll, I will get my answers. So Sisso's kind of, you know, he's kind of like, well, yeah, I guess the prophets want to do it. It's no skin off my butt, so. Yeah, yeah. and, and what if what if Starfleet got wind of it and said, you know what, you're no longer the uh, the captain. We're, we're busting you down because you No, what if Starfleet back. decides, hey, you have a time orb? Hmm, maybe we should go well, back. They, all, they already know about the time orb. We, we don't allow oh, no, no, but, but, We have but, rules but, against it. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, yeah, let's just abuse that. Or Well, I or, also you know, didn't think that the Orb of Time was very clearly defined here, because it looks, in the show as presented, like she doesn't actually go back in time. She, she just actually has a vision. stands in front of the Orb and has a vision that places her. Right. But in another an earlier episode than this, Gould Ducat has mentioned the attempt on his life, which mm-hmm. can't have happened if Kira wasn't there to do it. You're, you're also saying, okay, you know, the orb of time is not something you but, could just use. The prophets have to allow it. So the prophets allowed them to use it in trials and tribulations? Yes, because the killing of Captain Kirk would have seriously unbalanced the universe. And likewise here, this is closing a time loop. And then how did Charlie Brill go back in time? Uh, allowed that? Closing a time loop. Yeah. What day upset? Because yeah, essentially no. for time to play out as it should have, all these events had already happened. Yeah. If they hadn't, there would have been a different repercussion. So it's basically you- going back and making sure that time plays out as it should. What's his name? Arv Darnum or whatever his name Arv is? Darvill, yeah. How did he go back in time using the time orb if the prophets have to allow it? They wouldn't have allowed it. So they changed up the time orb rules for this episode. Yes. That is yes, the best explanation, did. I think. Yes, but um, I want to see. And, and this uh, is all, again. I, I don't want. I don't want to blow this out of proportion. This is nitpicking because I still think this was an excellent episode. It's just the premise that it's founded on of how she gets back that I have a problem with. Paul, Paul, you're not thinking fourth dimensionally. No, I'm not. <laughs> what I want to see is is young um, Anson Ricky come up. Oh, Captain, I I lost the keys to the runabout. Can I, can I use the orb of time to figure out where I left them? Yeah, yeah, sure. Go ahead. I also, I also think that the episode does a really good job. Like, like Paul said, it's really, really shades of grey. This one, it does a really good job with showing what a true collaborator is in in uh, the part of Boss or Tromac, who's the Bajoran who basically is taking Bajoran women mm. and giving them to the Cardassians. Oh, you want to you want to kill that guy? Yeah. I didn't think I could hate anybody more than Golda Cat, but that guy nails. Yeah, it. he's worse. <laughs> 
He's yeah. worse than Guldegar. I'm contrasting that with what Kira's mum is doing, which arguably she's only doing for her children. Now, I agree with what Paul said. Yeah, pass me the blood wine. But on the, the flip side of that, Ducat does keep his word. The children are well fed. And arguably, without what she does, Kira doesn't get to become the rebel that she becomes. The uh, the dude that uh, that's taking the women out, isn't he Dwight Schrute no. from The Office? No. 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 No? No, I don't mean the actor. I mean, oh, I mean right. the character. Yes, he said I, I know it's not the same actor. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I'm saying ca- character-wise, isn't that who he is? No, yeah. he's worse than Dwight Schrute. Oh, it's, no, is it really possible to be worse than Dwight Schrute? Yes. Yeah, because ultimately Dwight Schrute likes Battlestar Galactica, so he's got at least one redeeming feature. <laughs> well, I don't think Dwight Schrute would actually, the character would actually enslave his own people. Oh, no. I think he would. <laughs> <laughs> And so, so he he does a really good job in that role because you absolutely loathe that guy. And sadly, and, is, he might well be a nice guy in real life, but I would never ever accept it. Well, you know, good actor then, isn't he? Yeah, let's hope yeah. so. So I love all of the all of the shades of grey with this one. And the, I, do you know what I really love about it? At the end of the episode, Kira isn't all oh, I love my mom and realize what she did. She still doesn't like what she did. Mm-mm. But she looks at she looks back at things in a different perspective. Not necessarily. Oh, yes. okay. My mom was right to do this. She was wrong. But okay, we killed collaborators without you know any any regret, any remorse, any hesitation. And now I'm like, okay, I have a face of a collaborator. Maybe some of that action was over the top. Well, all right. Is her mom a collaborator though? She's not giving Ducat any information. She doesn't have any. And realistically, even the other women, the one who the ones who didn't have families to sacrifice for. What what other options did they have? Well, they didn't go as far in as as her mom did. Her mom became but even if a, they a did, kept woman. Even if they did, if Goldacad had picked one of them instead, mm. what option did they have? These these weren't powerful people who could overpower him somehow. You know, I mean, yes, in theory, you could try and take a butter knife and see if you could stab it in his chest at some point. But, but you know the likelihood of success there is extremely minimal, and and these you know these aren't soldiers. These are, are you know women who were were already oppressed and probably very very weak to begin with. They really you know yes I understand the perspective of saying they're collaborators, but they probably didn't have much option to do anything else. So it's a question of standing on your morals or surviving. Basically, it's like which. Which, you know, do I do I plunge the butter knife into Goldacott's chest, or do I try to live another day? Which, which, and that's not a, you know, I would say a large amount of time people are going to say, well, I need to keep living for various reasons, mm. you know, because and it's it's probably easier for the ones who don't have a family. If you've just been picked out by Guldukat here to be his pleasure thing, and in return for that, you don't, you're not betraying your race because you don't know anything. In return for that, you get well fed and nice clothes and a shot shower every day. You're probably going to do it. And the butter knife, uh, option isn't necessarily presenting itself to them. No, not really. Yeah, that's, that's even, you know, it's far fetched to just assume they all have an opportunity to do anything like that. It's probably, you know, very, very rare that that moment even presents itself. So then you have to not only see that you have that opportunity, you have to seize it and then you have to be strong enough to execute it. That's that's asking a lot of these women. Is, is during mid coitus, is there going to be something available that they can reach over and grab and kill him with? I don't know. 
Depends on the coitus, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it depends what they're into. They are Cardassians. <laughs> um, but it does, it also shows how, how terrible Ducat is. That his interest in Kira is purely based on the idea that he shagged her mum. Mm. Wow, he's, but, he's even more reprehensible than we thought he was. Yeah, I was thinking about that during the episode too. So, you know, that, that he was, you know, <laughs> that he did that and then he's got the, you know, the, the weird obsession to go after her as well. Mm. It's, it's, it's kind of sick. I mean, it's, it's beyond, you know, just weird. It's, 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 it's mentally ill. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it shows Ducat to be a real scumbag. Well, if you're ready to throw up in your mouth a little, apparently at one point in the planning process, it never made it to the page as far as I know. The plan was that Kira would have an affair with Goldacat. I do not buy that that would happen for a second. Well, that it was it was discussed, and yeah, it, and, yeah and, uh, I, Nana, Nana visitor said, oh, "Hell no!" Right, good, right. Good. I, I heard about that too, and then the, then like it was said, "Okay, well then uh, we're going to have him with your mother." Yeah, because that's so much better. <laughs> well, it is. I mean, but it just adds layers to to the reprehensible nature of Goldacat. They're showing him as as you know a somewhat sympathetic bad guy in this that he's you know he, he's got this good side where he treats her so sweetly and all of that stuff but then to, to go to the you know then then after that's all done he not only does he pursue kira but but he he kind of like rubs it in her face a little bit about her mother yeah but also as well the the manipulation the other cardassian who says he preempts his next line Mm-hmm. Don't let one Cardassian's boorish behaviour influence your opinion of all of us. And then he turns to Kira's like, oh, do you know who's going to say that? Oh, he's, it's not the first time I've seen him do this. <laughs> but then he tells her about it. When when Kira goes to her mother and tells her, she's like, yeah, he already told me. It's still mm-hmm. more manipulation, though. It wasn't yeah. him coming clean just to, to set his soul right. That was him making sure that she... It was a, it was a gaslight is what it was. Yeah, yeah I, I, I know. To get your attention, it's, it makes it even worse, really. It's further manipulation. You're right. Yeah. And it's probably further manipulation with knowledge that that's going to get to the mother. And even, even th- you know, giving her the tape of the, uh, you know, of her husband's message is manipulation. It's just to, you know, it gets her more on board with continuing in the role that she is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, as well, we've now had a visitor, to, apparently, to thank for the ending. The original ending did have her forgive her mother, and Nana Visitor, apparently, according to Memory Alpha, was the one that said, no, Kira wouldn't do that. She'd be conflicted in her feelings to her mother, but I don't think she'd forgive her. And I think, honestly, I think the way it's presented, it's it's well done because Kira is being shown as a fallible person with, you know, who is going to be influenced by her emotions. Because I don't think the way this episode is presented, there's much to forgive her mother for. I think the way the episode is presented, her mother really didn't have any choice at all. Mm. No, because it was purely random that she got picked at all, wasn't it? And I would argue that she's not really the kind of Cardassian woman that Ducat traditionally goes for. Kira is more like the Cardassian woman that he goes for. Bajoran woman. Bajoran, sorry, yeah. He likes them feisty. 
because there's more of a challenge in breaking them. I didn't get the distinct impression here that her mum was particularly feisty. The only the only sin the mother committed, according you know, based on what Kira would expect, is that she wasn't <laughs> resentful. She wasn't resentful of of Takat. Mm. That she she actually accepted his affection. That's yeah, the he, only sin she she committed, and I don't believe that's fair. I don't think it's no, fair at all because his his slimy devil tongue is working on her. She's and, buying and, into it. And she's going to live this life no matter what, and she does see the pluses of her family getting a benefit out of it. Mm-hmm. So so she's going to have this life. So her choice is to accept it and try and make it as pleasant as she can or to fight and to just, you know, be somehow, you know, retain your honor somehow by, by being resentful every minute of every day. Of every which, day. Would, which would probably get her and her family killed. So I don't see that there's anything to forgive her for. But Kira's Kira's a very strange character. She's a very black and white character in a very grey world, which they've played with throughout the entire series and always done a very good job with. And certainly in this situation, there's lots of different shades to it. I would argue her mum isn't a collaborator. Kira sees her as a collaborator. The guy who's handing over the women to the Cardassians is a collaborator. Kira's mum is doing what she feels is necessary for her children, which is arguably no less noble than what Kira is doing. But the way her mum does it, nobody gets killed. And if the mum had information that would, you know, tactical information that would be helpful to the Cardassians and hurt the Bajorans, and in order to save her family, provided that to Dukat, now she's a collaborator. But all she's doing is existing. Yeah, she's lying back, making the best of the bad situation, knowing that at least her children are being fed. And without her sacrifice, Kira doesn't get to grow up to be a rebel leader. Well, also, Gold Dukat, you know, she knows that uh, Ducat allows the transmissions to her family. Ducat knows where her family is, so in a sense, they are hostage as well. Yeah, for yeah, for her good absolutely. behavior. Absolutely, one hundred percent. You know, so it's not you know really being a, a straight up collaborator. She's being blackmailed. So frankly, I think Kira is wrong for being conflicted. I think she should totally forgive her mother, but I think it gives her character depth to show that while we can see that from the outside looking in, she's so emotionally vested in this that she's blinded to it a little bit. It makes yeah. her a more believable character with with character flaws. Well, yeah. And she's, she's blinded to it because it's Ducat. Her to, hatred of him co- co- covers up everything else. To, uh, well, I don't know if I'm gonna really defending Kira here, but, uh, and I don't know if I'm going to bring the show down. <laughs> Like I don't, you know. And, and, okay, this is another one of these episodes that I don't remember seeing first time around. And like, uh, so we had one a few a little while back where Kira had the father issues. And like I said, I had some father issues that came up with that. Well, and this kind of parallels some of my mother issues that behind the scenes some of you know about. I won't go into detail, but I will say that what I got out of this episode on a different level was that sometimes when you have a preconception of a parent when you're a child or you grow up and then when you get older, you're a a, a, revelation, a, a revelation or something comes to light and now you're forced to see them in a different way and you have to resolve that in your own psyche and like she says, she's like, I, oh, I can't remember the exact final line that she said, but she, you know, that 
she can't forgive her, but she doesn't know if she's really right or wrong. It, it's 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 again, it's gray, and it's hard to see to have your childhood preconception shattered, and you now have to to reconcile things. It's not an easy thing to do. Then, oh, I agree with that. You know, so that's that's all I'm going to get into my personal life. So, move along home. I, I, I agree with what you're saying, but like I said, I, I'm not damning Kira for this. I'm saying it makes her a more believable character. Oh yeah. If, if every character on the show is able to see everyone else's motivations and and then well, not not have see- emotion when they make a decision as to what they they're gonna, you know how they're going to feel going forward, then it's then it's just too wrote in by the book. This is you know this is showing some character depth to her that that she's not able to see. Well, I just we weren't saying that she's, you know, well, why can't she forgive her mother on a certain reason? But I can see why on certain reasons she couldn't. But it's again, it's not an easy thing. I think families have these kind of issues all the time. And I think it's more realistic to show that that the issue exists, even though we might be able to look at it and say, well, this is how it should be. Mm. I think that's more realistic than just, you know, everybody's the Waltons. Yes. I, I think that the, the grey elements that they introduce to this are really, really interesting. And again, none of us. The only issue I have with this episode, again, is none of us are taking on Cardassians and winning. I buy it when it's Jadzia Dax. Terry Farrell is, is quite a large woman. She looks like she could take somebody down with a good solid punch. I do never, I never buy Nana Visitor. Well, and she's got punch what, a Cardassian. Six, six, seven lifetimes of training yeah. that's in her head. And she's a Kling, and she trains with a Klingon warrior. Mm hmm. Whereas I, I never, I can't buy Nana Visitor doing it. She's too slight, especially now. She's lost a ton of weight after being pregnant, to the point where a good gust of wind looks like it'll knock her over. <laughs> and she's, you know, she's another one who's who's a dancer, and she's kind of light on her feet and everything. So it's hard to picture her having the the weight behind a punch to to really mm. do damage with it, but. You know, we're supposed to accept it as she, uh, you know, she lived a lifetime as a rebel and, you know, was constantly training and battling and, you know, she knows all the moves. Like I disagree with that one. Like, Kira, I think just her sheer fortitude, I buy it. Okay. I know, it's... I, I, I'm with you on that, Dave. I just think sometimes the way they present her as fighting is probably a little unbelievable only oh. because well, she, would, she, she wouldn't, fights. she wouldn't have the, can I finish my thought, okay, please? Okay, 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 okay. She wouldn't have, she doesn't have the physical size and strength to do some of the things she does. It would have been better if they choreographed them in a way where she was defeating people because she knew all the moves to do mm. it. Not oh, because she, oh, she's, not because she's stronger than them. Oh, <laughs> she's dirty. That would be fine too. She fights, she fights you, dirty and she's underestimated. Yeah, Paul, that's for all good. You're taller yeah, than well, me. We've been in, in the presence of each other. If and I, if I get your carotid artery, you're still screwed, no matter how small I am. <laughs> for, yeah, first of all, that's, that's, first of all, Dave, you're not all that small. <laughs> what, what am I? A couple of inches taller than you? Big deal. That's not a a thing. Second of all. Uh, yeah, if she got somebody in the carotid artery, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't I don't like when they show her like, you know, she gives somebody an uppercut and they go flying in the air like, you know, Thor punched them. Oh, Paul, mm. Paul size matters not. That is why you <laughs> fail. That's why hey. I, there are many reasons why I fail. <laughs> One good punch to the Ghibli's and you're down. I see what you're saying. It's more of a staging thing, I think with yeah, the, they, the they have her doing TV fighting. 
and it never looks I'm never convinced by it whereas if she did like jammed two fingers up his nose poke two fingers in the eye and then knee him in the balls fine yeah I, I, I think that's well said <laughs> Uh, apparently, if you're continuity-minded, this episode pisses all over previous continuity. According to Memory Alpha, Terek Noir was constructed in 2346, but Odo has said that it was built in 2351. Maybe Odo was just wrong. Maybe Odo was just wrong, yeah, but in Waltz, Ducat said he was made prefect after the occupation had been going on for 40 years, but this is only 20 years after the occupation started. Again, that's for people that care about the continuity, which we clearly don't. See, the thing, the other thing that occurred to me, and you know, you're talking about the years kind of made me think of it again, and it goes to the whole he's romancing the mother and then the daughter, is we don't really, unless I'm missing something, we really don't know too much about the lifespan of Cardassians, how long lived they are. So, I mean, do they have a much longer lifespan than us, which would make sense that, you know, Ducat would be a, you know, pretty mature adult when Kira's mother is you know, in her, whatever, early 30s, and then still be relatively in the same situation 20-some-odd years later when Kira's in her 30s. Because mm. people have, have, were nitpicking this, that why didn't he remember her? But if you think about it, it was 30 to 35 years before. Kira was just one of many Cardassian women he probably did this to. Why would he Majoran. remember Majoran, sorry, yeah. Why would he do this? Why would he remember? Well, he was she... probably if 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 Kira went and said, "Oh, do you remember the the person who my mother was friends with?" That was me. He'd probably say, "Oh." Did did Kira actually? <laughs> did she go back in time physically, or did 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 her consciousness just in was did it she in some sun- leap? Yeah, exactly. Yes, was she actually mm. in somebody the, the else? Orb, and... The orb of time is not clear on this because trials and tribulations they clearly go back in time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. But in this one, this is what I said earlier. I I didn't buy that she did. She stands in front of the orb. The orb does some wibbly wobbly light effect on her face, and the next thing she's back in time. Was she back in time, or was like you said, did she quantum leap? Or was it all in her mind? But it can't have all been in her mind because she affects events that happen. Yeah, no, I think clearly she went back in time in my mind. She had to. Well, I don't, I don't see how else it's... She could have yeah, been I, the, inhabiting the story someone else's body, work. too. I mean, one, one of the two. But yeah, she did Yeah, she did travel in time either physically mm. or inhabiting someone else's body. No, I, I think she physically traveled back in time. I think she was physically there, much like in uh, in, in Trials and Tribulations. I don't see how else it makes sense. Yeah, it doesn't work otherwise, does it? The story doesn't work if, if she's not there. And she's not there as Kira, not just like quantum leaping into somebody else's body. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she could always quantum leap into uh, the captain of the Enterprise NX-01. Ah, uh, you took me uh, a minute, <laughs> I'm like, what? Why would you? Oh. You could hear the crickets chirping in my brain. <laughs> Well, okay, that's a Scott Bites got back you. All right. All right, so uh, any other issues with this one? No, I, I don't, other than the fact that the time travel is a little bit woolly. I don't think I really have any issues with it. I think it's a really thought-provoking episode that does what Deep Space Nine does better than the other Star Trek shows in showing that, you know, war and occupation and collaboration isn't all clear-cut. I just want to say that in honor of your wonderful synopsis, I did hold back a joke when you said Bajoran Ghetto because I almost busted into an Elvis. In the ghetto. <laughs> in the ghetto. Oh, the great Cardassia morn. Oh. <laughs> 
I guess we should rate this. <laughs> okay, well, it was uh, Andy. Um, I'm torn on this one, actually. I think it was really, really good. I think that some of the storytelling was a little bit muddled. And like you said, having to ask the emissary for permission rather than a Starfleet officer, when in fact I don't know that the prophets have actually banned using the Orb of Time. So, And Kira's not a Starfleet officer. So there's some little muddled aspects to it. So I think it's probably a four. Okay. I, uh, I did have the issue, you know, as you just were saying... And I thoroughly enjoyed this one, um, but I fell as I fell at a three point five on it. I just feel like you know it's better than average. It's thought provoking, uh, but ultimately that's you know it was solid. But I go three point five. Uh, I will go uh, four. Ensign Ricky's looking for his keys. What to borrow the orb of time? Um, uh, for maybe for some of uh, graying up. Kira a little more and uh, for some of the personal things it you know kind of brings up for myself so uh, yeah yeah four four sets of lost keys I'm gonna go with four because once you get past the wonky casual time travel and if you could get past that it has your buy-in it takes you on a, a journey where I legitimately didn't know what was gonna happen next and what it meant and by the end of the episode I like that Kira didn't just say oh well I understand why she did it and she's still got to work through that so I, I I like the gravity of that, and, and just casting the shades of gray back onto Goldacott and everything that's happened before. Gravity is foremost on my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did like that Jack Bauer's wife was uh, her mum. Oh, yeah. Oh. Mm. I didn't realize that at the time, but yeah. So, that's what we said. What does Blaine say? What does Blaine say? In the Bacharan ghetto. <laughs> A poor little Canadian boy lives up there and, uh, and he thinks about what am I going to say on Listen to the Prophets. Listen to the Prophets. <laughs> excellent you, excellent backup. <laughs> excellent backup. So Blaine says, Hi guys. Well, that was unexpected. With all the verbal sparring Kira and Ducat have done over the years, I find it hard to believe that Ducat has never mentioned this before. This really should have been a story from season two or three. I'm thinking back to the episode that originally introduced Zayal. Had this been part of the backstory in the writers' minds then, there's no way Ducat wouldn't have brought it up. And then this episode would have been the next episode as Kira tried to verify what she'd heard. Coming so late, it's clear it was a new idea. While I appreciate how it adds another shade of gray to a previous black and white perspective, it comes so late in the series that it's hard to stomach. I also find it hard to believe that Cisco didn't demand that she use more orthodox channels of investigation before permitting time travel. Bingo, Blaine. I totally agree with you. <laughs> all in all, this is a decent episode that was hurt by its late placement in the series. Two or three years prior, it may have been a welcome addition, but this late in the game, it just feels like an emotional cheat. Blaine. I think Blaine has a good point there, but that didn't bother me. I, the, the Cisco thing was the thing that bothered me for whatever reason. I, I don't think Blaine is wrong at all that it, that this was kind of a, like a little bit of a change of course late in the series, but I do think it adds layers to characters that I enjoyed seeing, so I don't mind it. I also think that I, mean, I can headcan, uh, yeah, headcanon this or no prize it. The reason Ducat didn't mention it to Kira before is because he was actively trying to get into her pants. It's actually, it's oddly mm. enough, another layer of manipulation. Ducat manipulating? Please. No. Let's not be silly. 
Anyway, that's it for what Blaine says. And unless anybody has anything else, I'm wondering what we're doing next time. Next time, a whole new episode of Listen to the Prophets. Dr. Bashir is under inquisition. Under suspicion that there's been a security breach aboard Deep Space Nine. Under pressure. You didn't meet with a Vorta? No. I've had enough of your lies, Doctor. Under enemy control. You're saying I'm a Dominion spy? And don't even know it. The Inquisition has begun. You have run out of excuses. What did you do it, Julian? I'm innocent, innocent, innocent. On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. The Inquisition. Here we what go. Show. Nobody expects the Starfleet Inquisition. <laughs> Ensign Fang, put him in the comfy chair. Not the comfy chair! Bye, everyone. Bye, Kapla. Listen to the Prophets at Deep Space Nine Podcast is a Two True Freaks presentation. It is hosted by Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright CBS and Paramount Entertainment. If you'd like to buy stuff from Amazon, and who doesn't, why not drop by the twotruefreaks.com website, where if you click the little link that we have there, it will take you straight through that site, and whilst it won't cost you any extra, we'll put a few shekels in our tip jar, which helps create content like this. We very much hope you enjoyed listening to The Prophets. Every episode is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. Good such a gentle kapla. <laughs> Blah. Kinder, gentler Klingon. See what that gets you. <laughs> I think I, I think I'm the Klingon. You know, the the old Klingon general from uh, Star Trek Five. <laughs>